finally got through it there we go <clears throat> excuse me <laughs> there's there's always something man there, yeah yeah <laughs> you know it's, if we it, if we didn't have our hiccups it wouldn't be us we're almost to episode 50 and you would think that by now we would have this shit sorted out what who who would think <clears throat> that i don't know i would just and nobody that knows us would think yeah. that <laughs> Well, this is uh, this is season four, episode eight, number forty-six of the Fusion Underground. And here at the Fusion Underground, what we try to do is make sense of the world by having principled discussions about such topics as entertainment, current events, politics, and culture. Our mission is to educate people to become critical thinkers so they can live more empowered and happier lives. As always, I'm your host Manuel Ramirez, and I'm joined in the virtual studio by my brother, my co-host Jason Morant. How are you doing, sir? I'm good, brother. Good. Um, you know, <clears throat> this, um, you know, before we get, before we get started, so we have some big news that, uh, you and I are going to share today. Well, well, but only, we're only teasing it. We're not actually going to go into details. Oh, okay. Um, well, I'll let you tease. Cause I'm, I'm too blunt to, to be coy. <laughs> yeah. We don't need you. We don't want to let the cow, com, cat completely out of the bag, but there's going to be some changes, with our podcast, um, in a few weeks, we're gonna we're gonna add some uh, some new stuff. We're we're gonna do things differently, I guess. Okay. Um, but that's because you and I have something. Um, is we have it big? a project. Is well, it, is we it, have a project. Is it, is it big or is it just interesting? I don't know. I don't really know how to describe it yet. I think it's big for us. Maybe yeah. daunting. Yeah. Maybe a, a bit daunting. So we've got something brewing in the works that we're going to be working on and putting out for everybody. But we, before we talk a little bit about that, um, today's on today's episode, we're actually going to be talking about Freemasonry. I had, a, I had several people contact us and said, hey, um, this whole Masonry thing, what is that? I actually had somebody contact me and thought that, um, believes that Freemasonry is a cult. And I was like, yes. Okay. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> 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 so a couple of weeks ago, um, you know, we came out with our episode and we were kind of ranting or I was at least ranting about Freemasonry, but uh, that actually spurred quite a bit of people asking, hey, what is this? What is this? What is this Masonry yeah. thing that you speak of? So we're going to talk about that tonight. Okay. I think um, that'll be good. Before we get into that, something happened this week uh, that I just want to acknowledge. Uh, Rush Limbaugh passed away. Oh, yeah last week said. late last week i think that was when was that thursday was that thursday thursday i think it was yeah um and i was very sad by that that saddened me i mean i didn't cry yeah. i didn't lose myself over it um but that 
you know, that was, uh, that was something that I thought, man, bummer. Um, you know, it was a little over a year ago, he announced that he had stage four lung cancer. And I know he has been in and out of his program for over a year now, for about a year. Uh, and back in November, December timeframe, I saw, I saw pictures of him and he looked really terrible. And I thought, oh my gosh, the ending, the end is coming up sooner than, than any of, any of us would have liked. Um, and I don't know about you, but for me, Rush Limbaugh was always, he was really that conservative thinker that mm-hmm. got me started being a conservative. And, and I think a lot of people our age who are conservative owe a lot of their philosophy to Rush Limbaugh. Yeah. No, you can't argue that Rush really did pave a way for conservatives, especially in the talk radio realm. Um, I think everybody, everybody out there who's doing it has tipped their hat to what he's done, at least at some point, um, if not on a continuous basis. So, And, and you know, I, I was I was not surprised. I always knew that when somebody like Rush Limbaugh passes away, the rhetoric for the left is going to be disgusting and the left did not disappoint mm-hmm. um, last week. They really did not disappoint. And just absolutely, you know, it's absolutely disgusting. And somebody, somebody had posted on, on Twitter, they said, you know, Rush died like he lived, pissing off liberals. And I <laughs> thought, yeah, I mean, that's yeah. exactly what he did. Yeah, and, and it just, what bothers me, it doesn't, well, I can't, it's, I, it's not something that bothers me tremendously. It's not something that surprises me um, because that's who, who these people are. That's who mm-hmm. these people are. You know, when uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed away a few months ago, I saw overwhelming support from conservatives on, on social well, sure. media. Yeah. That, that's, that's an unfortunate, that's the way conservatives are and have been. And you when know, I say and- when I say support, I don't mean they were cheering her death. I mean they were legitimately reaching out, saying what a wonderful woman she was, thanking her for her service to the country. Um, people that who admitted, you know what, I don't agree with her politics, but she was still an American and uh, she's still a human being, and she deserves to be recognized for everything that she accomplished, even if she thinks differently than you or I do. Right. Um, we, we should at least acknowledge that I did. I posted on social media at, you know, calling for her to, to rest in peace and thanking her for her service, et cetera. Right. But, and we, we did that publicly on this show, um, after her passing. And, and we said that if, even if you disagree with her policies and her principles, which we openly admitted, we did 90% yeah. of the time, um, we acknowledge her, her service to her country and her, um, her efforts and, and all of the work that she did do. I mean, she was, she was a, an incredible woman. You have to admit that. Yeah. Um, and yet you cannot expect or should not expect the same kind of courtesy out of the left. No. And, and it's, it's quite disgusting. I mean, I'm not even going to share some of the, the, the tweets that happened that were coming through. They, they were just vile. <clears throat> they were literally vile and and how people can look themselves in the mirror the next day or even that same day and how people can can excuse that that kind of behavior 
um, is absolutely disgusting. I posted on, on my Facebook feed. We, usually when somebody big passes away, some named person, people that I know people know of and things, I will post on Facebook and I will just put a little, you know, rip and then their name. Mm-hmm. I usually don't post more than that. I rip and their name. And I've done that for liberals. I've done that for centrists and conservatives, et cetera. But when Rush passed away, I went on Facebook and I posted, you know, rip Rush Limbaugh. And then after that, I, I posted something to the effect of, of to my leftist friends out there, you know, don't even, don't even come onto this feed and say something negative. And yet I had two people, uh, one person who is a family member of mine actually used the little laughing emoji because she's a, she's, she's so left that she's, she's left of, of Stalin for crying out loud. Um, and I thought, you know, you're, we're related, but I have like very little respect for you. Mm -hmm. And I have very little respect for anybody who would celebrate. Sorry about that. I have very little, I have very little respect for people who will celebrate the death of somebody. And, and for people who say, well, he was anti-gay, he bashed on gays, he did this, he did that. You don't listen to the show. No. I've, I've listened to Rush Limbaugh for, you know, going more than 20 years. Mm-hmm. And he has never been that way toward Elton John. Elton John performed at his, at his wedding for crying out loud. <laughs> um, you know, and, and was right. The, the thing that the left always hates or hated about rush, <clears throat> he made them look foolish. Yeah. He absolutely made them look foolish. Um, and people can't seem to separate the idea that, he would make their ideas and their actions look foolish. And when he would do that for some, against somebody who was, who happened to be gay, then they interpreted it as he's gay bashing. That's not what he was doing. It was no different than when he came out and said, um, when he came out and, and said after Barack Obama won in, in 2008, Rush Limbaugh said that he hoped he'd fail. And people couldn't understand why he was calling for the president of the United States to fail. Liberals were in an uproar over that. How dare he? And Rush Limbaugh had to explain. And I knew exactly what he had meant when he first said it, but he came out and he, and he explained it a few days later. And he said, look, Barack Obama is a socialist. He's a socialist Marxist who believes in socialist Marxist ideals. And he wants to implement socialist Marxist ideals into the public policy and make that a thing in the United States. He wants to fundamentally transform America. Barack Obama's words, not Russia's. Right. And what Rush Limbaugh said was, he said, you know what? I hope his goal of transforming the country into a Marxist socialist state fails. And nobody could understand that. And all people could say, well, he's racist. Like, right, guys, right. it well, has nothing yeah. to do with racists, right. with racism. And, and and that that happens. And it's it's happening now. It, it's happening right. before. It's happening now. And, and it doesn't matter who it is. You, you're not allowed to disagree with somebody's ideas mm-hmm. and still like the individual. I mean, that's ultimately, on uh, if you're on the left side of the aisle, that's your MO. If you yeah. disagree with somebody, you have to hate them. You have to vilify them. You have to despise them. And you have to celebrate their death. I mean, yeah. or call for it yeah. for crying out loud. We heard that with the with the president of the United States. 
it's it's disgusting it's deplorable and that's yeah. that's not the way conservatives think and that's not the way i think human beings should think correct you know there's a lot of people out there i love <laughs> to death but do not disagree or do not agree with 90 percent of the time I don't agree with the way they think. I don't agree with the way they act, but I like them as human beings and I like them as individuals, but you know, but that doesn't mean I have to hate somebody because I think they're wrong. Well, you know, this is the fundamental difference that, that between conservatives and liberals that I've been saying for a long time. And I've, and I'll, and I'll say it again on this show. I, I, the, the way conservatives view liberals, conservatives view liberals as good people with bad ideas. Mm -hmm. liberals on the other hand view conservatives as evil people with evil ideas once you recognize that mm -hmm. then you can understand why why leftists will stop at nothing including destroying the, in every way shape or form up to and including torture and murder their political enemies this is this is the same i mean there was just video over the weekend <clears throat> the last over the last couple of days where members of Antifa were in, I believe it was Oregon, it was in Portland, and some other lady was crossing the street and they were threatening her and yelling at her because she wasn't one of them. And she was just trying to record what was going on. And they were calling for her, calling for her death. Um, this stuff happens all the time because these people see people like you and I as being evil people. And when you can de when you dehumanize an, a population, when you can dehumanize people, then that frees you from the moral, uh, the moral virtues and the moral chains of treating them like human beings. You don't have to do that anymore. Mm -hmm. If you dehumanize them, you can torture them. You can murder them. And we saw that during, um, you know, during the rise of the Bolshevik revolution, we saw that under Lenin. We saw that under Stalin. We saw that under, uh, Pol Pot, we've seen that under Che Guevara. Um, you know, the list goes on and on. Hit, you know, Adolf Hitler and, right. Um, right. you know, Mao Zedong and, and you name it, the left dehumanizes. And then once they dehumanize, they can do anything they want with you and it doesn't matter. And we're seeing that actually happen and play out in the United States. And that's a problem. That's a, huge, it's a problem. huge problem. Well, and and I think that the biggest problem behind all that, besides just the simple fact that people are being literally brutalized for just the simple fact of not agreeing with an ideology, is that you have people in political power who are actually encouraging this kind of action. And, yeah. and the mass of people, because I'm sorry, Antifa and the rest of these thugs, they don't make up the majority of this country. How unfortunately, the majority of this country is being very, very quiet. That's a problem because they're allowing it to continue by not saying enough is enough and not calling for the elected officials to actually put this down and put it in its place and to control it. And because there isn't any kind of uproar, there's no political reason for those people in power to actually think that their constituents don't agree with the masses out there shouting. So they say, well, my first job as a politician is to get reelected. And if I'm not, my phone's not ringing off the hook saying, stop it now, then it must be okay. Most of my constituents must agree with it. So I'm going to encourage it. Yeah. That's disgusting. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's um, it's shameful, and it's. I think we're in a very bad place as a country. Um, what what frightens me a little bit is that in most things, it only takes uh, no more than two percent of a population to change the way that the majority of the population thinks. Um, and and I'm really I'm I'm starting to get curious how many of the population actually believes that things like gulags should make a comeback. And if you think, and if you're sitting there thinking there's gulags would never come back, there have actually been leftists on social media, um, prominent leftists. I'm not just talking about your, you know, Joe Schmo down the street. I'm talking about people that are journalists that are in the limelight that are in positions to influence public policy. There are liberals that have called for the return of gulags. And even, even those, even many liberals that are saying, yeah, you know what, we need a return. I mean, Hell, just after the after the inauguration, we had people in Congress that were calling for, uh, I think it was AOC and a few others mm-hmm. of the squad were actually saying that um, Southern states, Republicans in Southern states needed to be re-educated to right. free their minds from, uh, from conservatism or from the Republican Party. Well, how do you, ex- how do you think, what do you think they mean <laughs> when they say that? Yeah. They literally mean sending you away. Right putting you somewhere so that you can be re-educated. Yep. We had those bef- um, under Hitler and they were literally called education camps. Right. And the, the, I mean, the, the Soviets did it with the gulags and um, you know, it, it's, it's just a, it's just a frightening thing. We have literally politicians calling for people to be re-educated. Yeah. Um, it's and disgusting. yeah, it's absolutely disgusting. It's dis- anyway. I, yeah. And I, I don't have it. I, it boggles my mind it, it that, you know, I was talking to my wife about that, especially after AOC came out and was actually calling for federal funding to try and to try and make that happen. And she she couldn't believe me. She thought I was just being ridiculous. Most people do. Yeah. I said, really? it's it's for realsies, honey. Do a quick search. You'll find it. It's there. It's happening. Yeah. So <clears throat> uh, anyway. Anyway, um, you know, uh, I hope that um, that Russia's wife and his family, I know his brother on has been on social media and his staff and everything, everybody that was close to him. Um, I hope that they get through the pain of losing Rush quickly. And I miss him. I mean, I, I miss him. Yeah, I was I a subscriber too. to his show yep. um, because I don't I'm unable to listen to him when he was on from 10 to 2 in Arizona time. But um, or ten to one, whatever it was. Um, so, but I subscribed. I, I, I'm a subscriber to to RushLimbaugh.com, and I'm happy to say that. I'm proud to say that. And, and um, you know, it, it gave me a lot of. He educated me, and he gave me a lot of interest, new ways of looking at the world. He had a way to ex- of explaining conservatism that he could take these really difficult concepts that were happening politically and he could break them down and make them easy to understand and right. easy to approach. It, it, he always offered a, um, a sense of perspective, <clears throat> especially yeah. when I heard um, a story or a news article or, or something like that. I'm going, wait, what? Something's not jiving. This doesn't make sense. What am I'm like, I can't wait to turn on rush tomorrow. Cause I know he's going to touch on this and he's going to simplify it for me. He's yeah. going to offer it up in a very simple, easy to understand perspective. Um, and Rush had a very, he had a gift, a true gift for being able to 
to do that, to break those things down, make them simple to understand and give everybody proper perspective on a lot of that kind of stuff. And I'm, yeah. I am going to miss that. Yeah. Yeah. And he did it with humor. Oh yeah. Most people, if you didn't listen to him, most people that I found when they criticize Rush or they say they hate him, they, they immediately come out with these things. Oh, he hates gays or he hates this. He hates that. Most people, nine times out of 10, those people have never listened to him at all. They've never actually listened to his show. They're basing that off of some other rhetoric from somebody else that they've heard, typically in the media. Uh, but Rush was absolutely hysterical. One of the things that I loved, he started doing this um, several years back, and he called it his tweak the media. Uh-huh. And because so many pundits, so many pundits in the media, with CNN, C-SPAN, MSNBC, etc., they listened to a show. They listened to it every single day. And then they would take quotes and they would paint them. They would use them to paint Russian in, in a negative way. And he would play those clips mm-hmm. from CNN and from all the different drive, uh, as he called it, the drive-bys. And he would play those clips. Then he, so then he started, you know, he's like, these people constantly take me out of context. So then he would start tweaking the media and he would say that. He yeah. would say it on his show. He said, okay, everybody, I'm, I'm going to tweak the media right now. You ready? I'm going to tweak them. <laughs> And, and you're going to hear it tomorrow and you're not going to believe your ears, but here, here we go. I'm going to tweak them. And then he would say something completely yeah. outlandish. And sure enough, the next day or two days later, he'd play all those sound clips of, of the, of the pundits. Can you believe what Rush Limbaugh said? And oh my God, you know, yeah, yeah. he's like, I tell them I'm going to tweak them and they, and still, they still fall, for, fall it. for it. Yep. I, I've, I've done a lot of different quotes. I, I still like, and I've done it with you on the phone. Look at this. I'm holding it right here. Listen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> here i have it right here in my my formerly nicotine, nicotine stained, stained fingers, fingers. <laughs> <laughs> oh. yes i i saw over the i think it was on friday i saw a cartoon and uh i and, and it just it, it was it it was nice but it was also kind of a, a bummer too and it was um, basically rush in heaven and there's God sitting behind a desk and all Rush is doing is he's got a book and he's giving it back to God. And the title of the book is talent talent. Oh, and for those of you out there, um, Rush used to say that he, every show was uh, talent on loan from God, from God. Yeah. And and I just thought that that was a great cartoon to see that. Yeah. Wow. That that pulls at the heartstrings there a little I know. bit. Yeah, that's, it was. That's almost as bad as the uh, when uh, Stan Lee passed, and I saw the cartoon of Spider Man holding his picture. Uh, yeah, kneeling yeah. down. That one hit me too. So yeah, yeah. It's you know like it's people like Rush. You know, if you listen to him on a regular basis, I used to listen to him every day for years and years and years. Um, and uh, you know, you listen to him enough, it's almost like he was just sitting there talking to me. He was talking to me all the time you know? Yep. And, and that was, that was great. Like I turned on, it was like listening to a friend. I could go listen to like to an old, like an old, an old uncle, you know, mm-hmm. an uncle. I, I love my uncles are people that I can go to. They give me advice. They give me a different perspective. They're not trying to be my dad, right. you know, make me laugh, make me laugh, you know, and they treat me, you know, like not like their kid, but like their nephew, let's get into trouble. Let's do something, you know, here's, right. you know, Slippy the Playboy or something like that, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I 
and and that's how that's how rush was rush rush felt like he was i felt like he was my uncle you know listening to him every day i never met him um but uh yeah it was uh yeah anyway yep i actually have i'm gonna tell on myself i actually have his uh call-in number on my phone i have rush limbaugh saved in my contacts um Tried a couple times, never made it through, but I've always, I've, I've kept it there just because there's always something that he was talking about. I had a thought or an opinion on, or I thought, and it was great because no matter what, even if I'm like, yeah, rush, but you're not looking at it this way. Well, wait just an hour. And he would go, oh yeah. When, for those of you out there thinking mm-hmm. like this here, and I'm like, okay, well you covered it anyway. So never mind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so now we got to see if Snurdly wants to come work with us right <laughs> we poor are in Bo. desperate need <laughs> poor Bo Snurdly. i know he's he's hurting right now too i can imagine so, actually i can't but yeah yeah good stuff yeah. um okay well anyway we're going to be changing our show yes we are going to be changing the show we're not going to release any any details yet but there will be some changes happening um, and that's because you and I are going to be working on something and um, we're trying to put some time parameters around this. So we actually get it done. Yeah, I think, you know, um, so often m- many of us and everybody out there, we try to, we have lofty goals or lofty ideas and, and we try to figure out how we're going to accomplish it in the uh, the time we have. And I think you and I recognize fairly early that the only way we're going to accomplish what we want to accomplish is we have to literally carve out time to do it. Mm-hmm. And, um, we've managed to carve out time for, for this, which I think is great. And this isn't going anywhere We're we are, we are absolutely committed to keeping this going. Yeah. So we had to figure out another way where we're going to be able to utilize the time we have and um, actually dedicate some time to do it. And I, I think um, we've come up with a good way to get that done. Yeah, we're going to talk a little bit more about it in the couple in the coming weeks. Um, we're not ready to talk about it yet out in the open other than just to kind of lay the foundation, lay the groundwork that some, some changes are coming. So it's not a complete and total surprise. So, all right. All right. Well, let's talk about masonry. What is masonry yeah so who are the freemasons that secret society of old (laughs) most people i mean we're not we don't hide about we don't hide it jason and i you and i were both freemasons yes we have been for a while um very proud to be a mason by mm -hmm. the way case i in case that hasn't been clear i am very proud of my affiliation to the uh, Masonic fraternity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we don't, we don't try to hide it or anything like that. It's not anything that we're ashamed of. We don't, I mean, this show's not about masonry. No. Um, <clears throat> but we're going to make it about masonry tonight though. Sounds good. So. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I was thinking, I'm like, well, where do we really start with this? I think the, I think well, the first thing is, well, what is, what is Freemasonry 
what what is it just in general? Just a right. quick elevator pitch. All right. What is masonry? The the five minute elevator spiel or the five second one. So Freemasonry for everyone out there who doesn't understand, Freemasonry is a fraternity. Now the fraternity by definition means it is for <clears throat> men. It is a male only organization. Mm -hmm. Um it's nonprofit, it's volunteer, and essentially is a it's, it's a club, if you will, for men to go and be a part of um, with other men with the simple yet overarching idea of making good men better men. Now, there are people now, you know, today's society, we're all in this whole fight the patriarchy, mm -hmm. anti-misogyny. So why men only? Well, besides being a for, uh, fraternity, well, why haven't again, we changed with the times? Why, why haven't, haven't we, we changed? changed? Why haven't we changed with times? Okay, so yeah, way back when, hundreds of years ago, all male club, right? Fraternity. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. But now it's 2021. Mm -hmm. People are going to say, get with the times. Let women be a part of the organization. What's so wrong with that? <coughs> well, First and foremost, men don't act like brothers to one another when there's women present, period. Like it or not, men act different when women are around. You don't say. That's weird. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, now, but there are going to be people that will say, just don't act weird. Oh, there are okay. going to be women who will say that. Well, they just, just don't act weird then. That's not possible. So one of the other principle, one of the principal tenets of Freemasonry is truth. And I, <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm sorry to say, um, that's a truth and it's in our nature. And part of Freemasonry is actually understanding the nature of not only human beings, but the nature of man. Now, when you say it's in our nature, you're re literally referring to it's in the nature of man, not the nature of masons to treat women correct differently or correct. to act differently when women are around, I should say. That's correct. Yes. Um, it, it's in our, our, not our, our human nature as the males of the species, if mm -hmm. that's better. Mm -hmm. um, it's just, it's just a fact. Um, we do, we don't allow women. We don't, and we don't discuss religion, which is something else. And I think that let me classify why I think I'm bringing that up on purpose. There are more cause for um, strife and disagreement around the clamor for power. And usually when politics get involved, that's a, which we also don't discuss. We don't discuss politics or religion in the Masonic Lodge. There's more strife and argument and contention around religious ideology and um, religious ideology, sorry, did I say that twice? Yes. Political ideology and religious ideology than any other. And um, a push for, I guess, the king of the pecking order idea that is inherent in our male species nature. The uh, women are not al allowed to be 
Masons. Now, that does not mean that women are not allowed around the fraternity. We have um, female organizations. Women come up to the lodge all the time, even with their husbands. They just don't go into the lodge room during our meeting. <clears throat> I don't know if okay. that answered your question or just led to no. more. But that's I, how I, that's I, how these discussions go too. So that's yeah, okay. I think it's I think it's great. Um, now, so if you haven't noticed, it's not like I don't know anything about masonry, but somebody's got to ask the other person the question because these are questions that people have. Right? Sure, sure, so, absolutely. Put me so, on the spot. That's cool. <laughs> I don't mind. Well, you can ask me some of the questions as oh, well. Oh no, no, no! This is way more fun. Thank you very much. <laughs> Um, so there are, there are many people like one of the, one of the listeners actually said, well, I think it's a cult mm -hmm. just flat out. I think it's a cult. I think people are going to be surprised when they find out that we don't talk about, we don't talk about religion in lodge. Um, I think, and there might even be some brothers who would, if they were to listen to this would be shocked by that statement or they would i don't want to say shocked by it they probably know that to a certain degree but i think they would say god is certainly part of masonry we acknowledge the existence of a higher power correct yeah it's um i i think you and i touched on this i believe when we were talking about religion um that the belief in a supreme being is inherently necessary in mankind in order to outline and at least have a basis of similarity in a, I guess, a rectitude of moral fiber. So again, this goes back to what I was talking about, it being necessary to humble yourself before the service of a supreme being of some sort. Now, again, masonry is not a religion. Um, masonry is not religious however we do acknowledge there must be some sort of belief in a su supreme being of some sort so therefore no atheist could ever be made a mason you know there, there are people that that think that might be listening to this and will, would think well you know that's all fine and dandy but why not move on there are a lot of people that claim that religion belief in the the sky wizard as some people like to like to refer to god as the sky wizard right because they're trying to talk down to people who have a have religious faith okay um so the the same way people might say well just move on it's 2021 allow women to be in the in the fraternity and it's 2021 it's time to get over the whole sky wizard thing for why is it important though in your perspective in your opinion for a prospective member or even just member in general to have a belief in a supreme being so i mean again i, I think this goes down to the idea if if you don't believe in something higher than yourself then it leaves you it leaves the individual without any sort of overarching, I guess, guideline or boundary line of their own conduct. So we, 
we talked about this when we when we looked at religion and we talked about getting our sense of morals and values, right? Um, if you have a belief in a supreme being, more than just the, I guess, penalty or repercussions for breaking the rules or acting out, there's a, a belief that there's something of greater service that sets a boundary line of your conduct within you as an individual, as well as sets you on a path of moral rectitude. And I believe that that's vitally important for men, all men, but in particularly Masons to recognize that they are, yes, valuable by nature, but have a moral compass within them and therefore on a, a, I guess, level playing field with all of the other men in that room, all trying to strive to be better individuals and better men, which is ultimately what the Masonic fraternity is all about, trying to provide a, a place and a group of like-minded men to support each other on that path of <clears throat> self-improvement trying to recognize where your own shortcomings are act within your own boundary line of, of moral rectitude. And I guess kind of support each other along the way of being better tomorrow than they are today and hopefully better today than they were yesterday. So I want to add to that. Um, I'm going to add to what you said, because I don't disagree with what you said, okay. but I want to add to that. And there, what a lot of people don't realize is Without, without religion and without that, that moral foundation, then all that does is it puts society on a path of, of tremendous peril. And, and the reason why I say that is because people, I would encourage people to go read um, Nietzsche, Frederick Nietzsche, who is a philosopher and he wrote about this. Now, a lot of people get Nietzsche wrong. They get him incorrect when he said, God is dead. He wrote, God is dead. And a lot of people um, today interpret that as, well, that's Nietzsche celebrating the idea that we are no longer tethered to this psychological anchor of the sky wizard. Okay. But what a lot of people don't understand about Nietzsche is that he wasn't, it, it wasn't a celebration for him. He was, he was acknowledging a pattern that he was seeing in society. And what he did was he took that a little bit further and he said, look, without moral, moral rectitude and religion to back that up that, that, and provide that moral foundation, all that does is it places an individual on the path of nihilism. So you're going to, you eventually have, you go from being religious and having imposing, self-imposing boundaries upon your behavior. And, and we, we had a whole episode where we talked about boundaries of behavior when we talked about religion. Um, but you go from having those boundaries and you move into the, into the realm of pure decadence. And then what follows after the pure decadence is nihilism. And when you reach that state of nihilism, nothing matters anymore. There's no point to life anymore. There's no point to living. And so typically when people are suicidal, for example, they have fallen so far down into nihilism 
they, nothing means anything anymore. And Nietzsche tried, was trying to warn us about that and said, don't, we, we, we should not go down that path. And when you fast forward to 2021, we see that already happening in our society. We've, we have so many people in our society who have abandoned any kind of religious belief and they've embraced decadence to the, to the utmost degree. And there are many people now that, are, that view the world as who cares? It doesn't matter anymore. What difference does it matter? It's just all going to end anyway. We're all going to die anyway. And that's the path of nihilism. And there's nothing good that comes from being in that place. Right. Nothing good. Right, right. Yeah, and, and, and nihilism is a great point. And, and I think, um, thank you for bringing that up. It's, I, I look at it as the, the overwhelming necessity that you be humble before something greater. Um, whereas nihilism, like you're pointing out, really is the service of yourself. And Masons as a, as a fraternity, as an organization, and on an individual level, I think recognize that by serving yourself and yourself alone, there is absolutely no improvement in that because it's all, it's, it's a very, well, it's selfish by nature, but it's, it's, um, it's consuming. And it's abs that's absolutely contrary to the beliefs of masonry in so many different regards, because masonry really is, it's, it's about serving others and therefore gaining of yourself charity being one of the, the principal tenets of the, of the organization. I caught you eating a pretzel. Sorry. <laughs> Chocolate, not bread. Not oh, okay. So, so what is it that, um, you know, a lot of people will say, well, let me take a step back. We've got so many books and so many movies that talk about Freemasonry and usually equate Freemasonry with all of these conspiracy theories. Oh, yeah. We rule oh, the so country. Many. We rule They're the world. They're so fun, too. I like most of them. I know, them. the Illuminati, etc. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, what, that's... what are what are your view what are your views on that? What are your thoughts? On, I mean, obviously you think it's cool, but what? Oh what man, your... it's cool. Oh yeah, there there's let's see the well the Illuminati's one. We know where the um the Ark of the Covenant is, and we've got the treasure rooms. That, you know the unfortunately the sad part is that's all bogus. It's all crap, and you know so I say that. And yet I can hear people out there in the sound of our voice, even tomorrow and in the days to come go, well, that's because you're just must not be high enough in the organization to, to know. Or, or right? you're just, you're just going to say that because you don't really want people to know that you actually run the world. Oh, I can tell you by my surroundings and mind. Trust me, if I'm running the world, we're all in big trouble. No, no, no keep in mind. There <laughs> <laughs> there, there are people that they want to believe in the conspiracy theories. Yes. The same people that don't want to believe in God, they're going to be the ones that believe in the conspiracy theories. Yes. Take, yeah. for example, like the crop circles. When the uh -huh. crop circles first started appearing, there were dudes that took a, like a wooden plank yep. with rope and they flattened down, they flattened down the wheat and they made the circles themselves. Mm -hmm. And people were like, well, that must, that must've come from aliens. And they said, no, we did it. We did it. I will I... show you how we did it. Look how we did it. And they yeah. showed it and they were like, no, no, no. It was really space aliens. No, you're full of it. 
they right. yeah the aliens must have made you do it then right so oh. no matter how as one those people that they're so they're so enraptured by the idea of these conspiracies nothing you and i are going to say is going to convince them that as masons we don't actually secretly run the world right well i'm sorry for that but it that's really that really isn't there and I can tell you without getting into too much detail when it comes to quote unquote going high enough in the organization, I can speak for <clears throat> Dr. Ramirez and myself. We've both gone pretty dang high within the organization <laughs> and back. So I'm not going to give you a whole Masonic uh, reference sheet um, with all of my Masonic accomplishments. And I'm not going to do that for Dr. Ramirez either. Um, but trust me, there's enough quote-unquote degrees and all that stuff behind both of our names but it's not as exciting not, one of the not to that degree one of the things that i love to hear is when people say that when they tell me well you know i had an uncle or my grandfather was a 32nd degree mason <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah I, I i've heard that more more often than not um, and, and I get it. I chuckle. I chuckle when I hear that kind of stuff now. So I. I used to not. I used to not before when I was yeah. younger and I wasn't part of the organization. So I get it. I understand yep. it. I get it. Yep. Um, so am I. I'm a 32nd degree Mason. I've got but I am 32nd not. degree prayer crap. You do not. Um, we were both knighted. We're both Knights Templar mm -hmm. as well mm -hmm. in the York, right? Um, yeah, we, we've both held offices with the Grand Lodge of Arizona. We've both worn the purple. So mm -hmm. yes, we, we have our credentials, but, um, for anyone out there, don't, don't go up and say, well, you know, so-and-so was a 30. I can tell you this with all, with all honesty, there is no degree higher anywhere than third degree. And that yeah. is a master Mason. Yeah. And it's any true. Mason out it's there true. will tell you that that is the highest degree of masonry you can attain. Everything else is, is just is is fluff. It's, it's not it's even extra credit. It's not no, even it's, extra credit. It's <laughs> it's just dressing. Yep. And I'm not discrediting those no, no, other no. degrees in the appendant bodies, which is what those are. I I've gone through them. I enjoyed them. I I I took a great pleasure in going through them and and learning more. Um but the highest degree I will ever attain is Master Mason, which is a third degree. Good stuff. And Dr. Ramirez and I have both been masters of our local lodge. Mm -hmm. We have, quote unquote, run the show for a year. So, yeah, we're familiar. So what would you say here? I'm, I'll turn the tables and ask you. Mm -hmm. What would you say um, to those who would call freemasonry a quote-unquote secret society <laughs> well we're not very secret no first we, of all. we suck at being secret we suck at me. being secret i mean hell we got two two of us are, are we run a podcast for crying out loud <laughs> and we talk about we're talking about it now yep. um we're not a secret organization because we're in the phone book or at least we're on the internet and they don't make phone books anymore we put our logos and our, we put Masonic Lodge on our buildings for everybody to see. Mm -hmm. um, 
if you Google us, we're going to come up. It's going to say, you know, you can Google Masonic Lodge near me and it's going to show you exactly where the nearest lodge is to your location. You can find it. You can walk in. Mm -hmm. You can go right on in. You're not going to be able to go into a tiled meeting of, of Masons, but you can go and visit the lodge. You can walk right on in and see everything. Right. It, it, so we're not a secret organization because everybody knows where we are. So <laughs> <laughs> now we are, a, we are an organization with secrets. And I will tell you this, there's not really that many secrets. No, Ben, Ben, <laughs> my favorite quote by a brother Mason, very famous Mason by the name of Benjamin Franklin. Mm -hmm. And I've said it over and over again. My favorite quote he said was uh, the biggest secret of Freemasonry is that there are no secrets in Freemasonry. Mm. But of course, people out there won't, they'll hear you and I say that and they won't believe a word of it. And that's okay. Right. But do we have secrets? Yes. And do, it really comes down to our modes of recognition. You that's know, our, really it. it. Our secret squirrel handshakes. Yeah. And our secret squirrel passwords. Yeah, just to be able to identify another another Mason. Yep. That's and really if, what it boils down to. If we're not wearing the square and compass hat and have the rings on right. and a logo <laughs> on our shirt and driving the car with the big square and compass on the back. Like <laughs> well, and then it and in Arizona, you can actually get a license plate with the square and compasses on it that says yep. that mm -hmm. says Mason on it. Right, right. An actual license plate, like licensed by the state for you to drive and pass your car registration and all that kind of good mm -hmm. stuff so okay i'm going to ask you a question and i have a different response to this one too so let mm -hmm. me ask you um for a lot of people out there of course say well if if masons really have nothing to hide then then mm -hmm. why do you have secrets why aren't women allowed to go up what's what's the point of having secrets if you're really not a secret society what what is that all about why couldn't i just come up and go sit in a meeting why why do you have secrets at all hmm. that's a good question um okay so I'll, I'll put my little spin on it mine's probably a little bit different than yours um and and I want to start with this. You, people have to understand that when you become a Mason, um, you're, you're accepted as a brother into the organization. Uh, and there's, you know, th there's, there's not much I would not do for another Mason, particularly yourself. And we do have secrets within the organization, as we alluded to before, just a few minutes ago about recognition. But we have those secrets because, you know what, there might be times when I'm going through something or I need to talk to somebody and I reach out to a fellow brother. And if I know that he can keep the, 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 just the couple of secrets that we have within our organization, if he keeps those then there's all there's a there's a sense of trust that is automatically built through the rituals that we have and through that other brother keeping those particular secrets and i know that i can trust him to keep my secrets as well mm -hmm. or to keep what i what i view as private he'll he'll keep that private himself 
And, and so that's what builds fraternity. That's what builds um, brotherhood, being able to know that your brothers are there for you. Um, should you ever need them? Oh yeah. And, and knowing that you're part of that, that you're part of something greater than yourself. And I think once you become a Mason, you know, you have to, there's not a lot you have to put up with, but more so than joining like the lion's club, right? Um, you have to do a little bit more than that. And, and we, we require that you have to go through more because that way one, it's meaningful. And it lets us know that you're committed to being part of this brotherhood that we have. So go for it. What, what, how would you add to that? Um, actually, my reasons are, are very similar. You know, the, the Masonic fraternity is selective, or I like to think that it's very selective about who it um, brings into the fold as a Mason. You, you, it's not a reformative organization. Um, we don't... No. Um, I'm in order trying to not be crude, but I'll do it anyway. We don't make scumbags masons and try and make them good people. Correct. We are selective in that we only allow good people to become brothers. Right. And when, when I say, when I use the term brother, and I think you alluded to this, when I use the term brother, I mean someone that I can trust implicitly with the very private and deepest parts and most protected parts of my life and the things I care about the most. And that includes my, my family. You know, if, um, if I got, if I walked off the, uh, the curb and got hit by a bus and died, I have some comfort in knowing that my family will be taken care of. My brothers will step up and look out for my family as their own. I know that. I believe that. Um, and I believe that just because I'm, I'm, I have brothers in my life who are, who I, I just, that's what the brotherhood, that's what the fraternity is. And if I'm going to have people that I associate with in that regard, who I can trust with or trust my family to, then I should be able to trust them with a secret squirrel handshake and password. And if I can't trust them with those simple things like that, just to keep that secret, then how can I trust them with the things that are overwhelmingly important to me? Right. And that's what brotherhood is really about. And that's what Freemasonry really, I mean, at, at the heart of it all, Brotherhood is what Freemasonry is. Agreed. Good stuff. You know, I, I like to tell the story. I, I, I don't remember if you were master of the lodge um, the year this happened, but you remember the, the brother from California who was flying over, he flew over Flagstaff. He had a little Cessna plane and he crashed. Yes, I do remember that. Just uh, east of Flagstaff. Mm -hmm. And he his wife was with him and she died in the plane crash yeah. and he was taken to flagstaff hospital he was there at flag um flagstaff hospital and his lodge called up our lodge mm -hmm. 
and said, hey, one of our brothers is over in the hospital and they explained what had happened. And um, our lodge looked out for him. He didn't have anybody. He didn't have anybody. And we were there for him. And every day somebody was there in his hospital room visiting with him. He was never alone. He was never alone. Yeah. And, and we heard, we heard from him after all of that. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and I, I can't tell you what that meant to him. Um, obviously has gone through a lot in the loss of his, his wife, but um, yeah, he is still kept in contact. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's things like that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and we never, we had never met him. We didn't, no. we didn't know this guy from Adam. Mm-mm. Um but his lodge reached out to us and, and, um, and we were there just as I'm sure their lodge probably would have done the exact same had it been one of our, our brothers from our lodge mm-hmm. in a very similar situation. Yep. So that's the, that's the kind of thing that, that can and, and does happen within the fraternity. Yep. And I know um, my wife has traveled out of town um, and I give her something, <laughs> uh, a pin, to wear, which she does, um, when she goes, because I, I want to, and you know, whether it's, it's, it's made an actual difference or not, I I can't say for sure, but, um, she's told me about random acts of kindness that she's received while she's been out traveling before. And I have to believe that that's probably part of it. Um, You know, it's, I, I would, if I were to see a brother's wife out traveling somewhere or came across in an airport, that's, I would treat her like a sister-in-law in that regard. Um, that's the kind of family that, that Freemasonry affords. That's the privilege, if you will. It's not rising through the ranks of power and it's not gaining more influence in other places. Um, and there's no financial benefit to being a Mason. Correct. Ever. Correct. At all. Um, if anything, it's more <laughs> obligatory on the individual to always keep themselves within the, I guess, confines of that moral rectitude that so, the fraternity upholds. Oh, so uh, let's let's uh, let's deal with this question. So people can people can attend. Um, you know, one of the one of the rituals that we have. Uh, and I'm hesitant to refer to it as a ritual, but technically it is. Um, well, okay. It, it, so hold on. Ahead. Let's, okay. let's, let's touch on ritual because this is, I've heard this contended many times. Mm-hmm. Ritual is just doing the same thing every time the same way. That's the definition of ritual. With, with, a, with a certain degree of importance wrapped around the activity. Sure. Sure, I mean, but you, you wipe your ass every day, but I wouldn't really refer to that as no, a ritual. <laughs> no, <laughs> but I would, I would almost refer to my, my morning ritual as that because <laughs> I, I get up in the morning, not that ritual. Yeah, uh, yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, I get up, I make, I put the coffee on brush teeth, get yourself dressed, get the kids dressed. But I do it the same way every day because if I don't and I don't wait to the last minute before the coffee's done, it's not going to be ready in time. Everything's all shot. It's intentional and it's very important to me. But if you do that the same way, that becomes essentially ritual. Now for 
the fraternity, when we meet and we open and we close our meetings, we do that's ritual. We do it the exact same way every time. If anybody's been to any kind of formal meeting that follows um, um, Robert's Rules of Order, I believe it's yeah. called, yeah. that's a ritual that's the same way. Um, your church service, if you go to church, it, it opens, it closes, it sends everybody on their way. You do it the same way, the same candor, the sermon happens in the same time. That's the, done the exact same way every time. That's a ritual. Well, a coin that's toss it. at the Super Bowl. That's a ritual. Is, is the same thing. So yeah. the, the definition of a ritual is a religious or solemn ceremony consisting of a series of actions performed according to a prescribed order. So what we do in our lodges is not religious, but it is solemn. It tends to be more of a solemn ceremony. Unless Flagstaff 7 is doing it, then we tend to have a little bit more fun and not as solemn. <laughs> we, we do have a reputation to uphold. I'll say yeah, that. Yeah. But, but, you know, a lot of people, they, they conflate religious or religiosity to uh, to what we do when we say the word ritual, because mm -hmm. we do have an altar, right? Sure. We yep. have an altar in the middle of our lodge rooms, and then we refer to it as ritual. I understand how people would say, well, they're a religion or they're a religious type of cult because they have an altar and they do ritual in there. So they're sacrificing goats or something's going on right. in there. Right. Oh, yeah. Only every other Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's a, that's a, okay. So I'll try and be serious a little bit. You have to understand if you're listening out there that that so much of this, if you're if you're a Mason, you know how ridiculous all that stuff sounds. So it's very easy to poke fun at. So I'll, I'll try as best I can to not poke fun at it too much, but you have to understand that, that that's like saying that your, your home is a, I don't know, a, a demonic or a coven yeah. because of how you, what you do at home. I mean, right. it, it's so bizarre, but right. anyway, so the other, the, where I was going with the, with the, the ritual piece was that there's a, a ritual there are two rituals that that people can uh, observe that non Masons can observe. Uh, one is the ritual that we have for a departed brother, graveside service, the funeral service, right? Right. Um, and then another is the installation of officers of a of a lodge, mm -hmm. right. and and those are two, those are two rituals that we open to the public, or mm -hmm. that can be open to the public, um, and. And if you go to the installation of officers in a lodge, um, it's pretty boring. I don't know why you would <laughs> want to go unless you know somebody being installed. But uh, it means more of it's more meaningful for the actual officers than it is for anybody else. I, I, I think, you know, our friends and family come and they sit there and they look around and they're like, what the frick is going on? Right? What, the, <laughs> <laughs> what the hell is all this ridiculousness? Right. Um, but but during the the installation of officers, people will hear the title worshipful master, mm -hmm. and I think there are people that get very uncomfortable when they hear 
the term worshipful master and you were worshipful master and I was worshipful master. You still have, we both of us still carry the title of worshipful brother. Mm -hmm. We will be referred to as worshipful or worshipful brother in Masonic circles. Yep. I do that just to mess with you every once in a while when you answer the phone. Worshipful. How are we doing, worshipful? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But I love to refer to my brothers as worshipful, those who who have been worshipful. I love to refer to them as worshipful. It's great stuff. Well, and for for those, everyone else out there who doesn't understand that, it's not a religious term at all. It is not a religious term, but they think it's religious because of the worship. Because of the word worship. Um, It actually um, stems back to an English, an old English term, which... um, a lot of the uh, uh, members of parliament, if I'm not mistaken, and, and judges were actually referred to as worshipful. worshipful. Yeah. Um, and it's where we actually um, coined the term honorable or your honor as right. we refer to judges. It, it's the same. It is the exact same meaning. It, it is um, uh, re- not reverend. That sounds almost just as bad. It's, it's but, honor. But it's a title it's, of honor. Or respect. It's a title of honor and respect Yeah, for, and, for their authority and, and, and overseance of, of the um, proceedings of the lodge. Yeah. And, and in fact, in, in Britain to this day, uh, the title of worshipful is still given to justice of the peace and other judges. Yep. Uh, and even older corporations and their officers um, will sometimes carry the title of worshipful. Like we might have uh, China. I don't even, gosh, I don't even know of a old title. Um, but there are sometimes an organization, a corporation will, will give somebody a, an honorary title, so to speak um, here in the States. But in Britain, they still, they can still use in corporations for their officers. They can still give them the title of worshipful. Yep. Um, so it is, so, it's not a religious title. It, it's a title of respect. But it does go back to uh, to uh, the United Kingdom. Correct. To Britain. Yep. Yeah. So what, what else is there out there about Freemasonry that um, we don't, we're, we're not devil worshipers. Sorry. No, no. Yep. There's, there's no deviling going on in the lodge. I actually did sit through a, um, a very interesting lecture about where some of that came from. And I can't even remember most of it now. It's been quite a long time since I heard that, but, um, no, not the case. I think a lot of, a, a lot of what happens or the belief around what masonry is for people who are not associated with a fraternity, I, I, where I think a lot of this comes from is the fact that Masonry, it's a worldwide organization. So there are Masons in pretty much every country around the, around the globe to some degree. I don't, I don't necessarily think every. Uh, I, I, I would find it very difficult to believe that there are Masons in North Korea, for example. Probably not. Well, it's, it's possible. I mean, you have to remember that even in um, uh, Nazi occupation of Germany, uh, Masonry was outlawed. Well, masonry sure. was was outlawed, but mason, but but uh, but even Nazi Germany hasn't been around for as wasn't around for as long as uh, the the Norks have been around. So true. There, there's, I just think that they probably would. I, anyway, they, there could be, but I, I highly doubt it. If they are, they're meeting totally in secret. Yeah. Um. Um. 
I don't gosh, now my whole thought just got derailed there and I forgot what I was going to. Uh, you were talking about where you understood where some of this come from. Oh, and right, was... right, right, right. Um, so where, where I think a lot of this, a lot of this belief of, against masonry comes from is the fact that uh, even though we're, we're around the world, we have a worldwide organization, there is no singular body that speaks for masonry. Mm-hmm. There's no singular head of Freemasonry in the world. There, there's right. not a singular representative. And so when people throw down these gauntlets against masonry, you know, as Masons, we kind of look around and go, is somebody going to say something or just no? <laughs> just, right? Anybody going to stand up and call that kind of nonsense out for what it is? Yeah. No. Who wants to? Is it, does anybody really want to do that? Because it's not my job and it's not your job. And <laughs> yeah, so we just don't say anything and we just kind of go about our business. Yeah, and well, we, we got to giggle at it. I mean, that happens because we, right. we all just kind of laugh at the ridiculousness of it and then right. move on. Right. But yeah, no, there's, there's no worldwide government. There's no president. There's no Pope. Um, no, no it, it's each state in the United States. Anyway, each state governs itself and within those states, each lodge governs itself within the confines and the oversight of the state. But otherwise the worshipful master of the large is he's the guy in charge. Yeah, he's the guy in charge for a little while, anyway. For one year, that's it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can't do any more damage than that. <laughs> but you know, that's another reason why you have to be able to trust your brothers. That's why yeah. another reason to to trust them and to build that trust. Um, because when when you become master of a lodge, you're sort of. Um, you're given a lot. There's, you know, our lodge, we've got a building for crying out loud. We have, um, you know, businesses that, that are set up inside of our, that are not our businesses. They're, they're renters of ours, right? So we have a lot of, we have different assets. Um, we have money there, you know, not a lot. I mean, it's not never ending. It's, but right. It is finite, but we have to pay bills. We have to take care of those assets as master of the lodge. And so you need to, we need to ensure that whoever's going to step into that role, that as our lodge, as Flagstaff Lodge number seven, as a member of that lodge, if the brothers tell me, Hey, we know this person can do a good job, then you know what? I'm going to say, okay, because my brothers vouch for you. Right. Right. And that's, that's something that I think our society overwhelm is overwhelmingly lacking is that level of integrity where if, mm-hmm. if I have another man come up and say, you know what, this guy is going to do a good job. You have my word. There used to be a time where that was all anyone would ever need. Well, mm-hmm. you know, Bill gave me his word, but on a, even now, if I have Bill come up to me and he's a brother of the lodge, if he's a brother and he says, I give you my word, that's all I need. Yeah. And I trust that implicitly. And I'm not speaking, I think out of context for just, I mean, that's beyond just myself. I think any brother out there would say the exact same thing or should. So let me ask you this question. Why okay. did you join Masonry? Oh, 
So I guess that's a long answer, but I'll make it brief or at least briefer. Um, my dad was a Mason, but that's not why. That's not why I joined. You know, there's there's a lot of brothers out there. And I'm not saying that that's a, that's a wrong answer. You know, the, it's not, it isn't, <laughs> it's very common for sons of Masons to also become Masons. That is extremely common. Um, that was the first thing. One of the things I noticed is my dad wore his Masonic ring and I'd asked him about it three times actually throughout or in my growing up life. I asked him about it and he always said, well, I'll tell you about it when you're older. That was about the whole, the, the extent of the discussion I had with my father. Um, what actually got me to join the lodge was there was a handful of men who I, I guess, respected and looked up to, um, looked up to maybe not a good word, respected enough and looked to for advice or whatever that I, I thought were just really good men. And after a few years, I started to recognize that at least 80% of that small group of people, they were all Masons, not of one lodge, but just throughout my life. They, they in fact were Masons and most of them, I didn't even know that. And when I finally started putting that out, I'm like, okay, there's either the Masonic Lodge just happened to get lucky and, you know, reel in a couple really good guys who are honest, who were forthcoming, who had integrity, who, I mean, people that I wanted to be around, wanted to be like in some regards. And I said, okay, I've got to look into this and see if there's a common thread. And I found out, yes, there absolutely is a common thread and masonry is it. I'm like, okay, this is something I need to be a part of. And then when I actually went and visited the lodge, not yet a mason, and I walked into that room and I started talking with some of the, the brothers who were there, I immediately felt at home. It's like I had known all of these people not individually, not the John and the Morgan and the, you know, some of these other people by name, I've never met any of them. They're all complete strangers, but it's, these are the same type of people that I had around me my whole life. And I realized this is something I needed to be a part of. And that's when I finally talked to my dad and said, okay, it's time. I've looked at it. I've gone to the lodge. I'm curious about it. I want to know more. And he said, okay, well, you're old enough. And I think you've asked me three times. I didn't know that that was a thing until that night. And um, <laughs> my dad and I talked about it for a couple hours. And that kind of sealed the deal for me. Very cool. How about you? No, you don't get to get that out of me and not not give me uh, a turnaround's fair play. <laughs> um, <clears throat> sure. Well, I didn't know much about masonry at all. Um, my grandfather was a mason. And sadly, I wasn't close to my grandfather. He, for various reasons, he, he, when, he, when I was really young, he had a, um, a brain tumor. And from that point on, he was always in and out of the, out of the hospital. Uh, so he was very sickly. But um, so I didn't really get to spend a lot of time with him and get to know him all that well. Um, but he was a Mason and a couple of times he, 
I would notice him wearing his Masonic ring and I would ask him about it. And back then Masons didn't talk about Masonry at all to anybody outside of the fraternity. And so he said, well, I can't really talk to you about it. But he, when, as I was getting older, he really wanted me to join. And I would ask him, I'm like, well, I need to know something before I join this organization. He's like, well, I can't tell you that. I can't tell you until you join, right? You, you can't know anything about it until you join. Okay, so I, I didn't really put a lot of weight into it. But he was really big into, into Mason. He loved the fraternity. He loved the fraternity. Um, and he passed away when I was 19. And, um, there were, I, I would run into people at family gatherings now and then, and everybody that I would run into once they learned that I was his grandson, they would tell me, they would say, you know what, uh, Lewis was the best man that I've ever known. You know, you hear that once and you're kind of like, yeah, whatever, whatever. Um, and I kept hearing that it was like this recurring theme that, you know, they would say, well, your grandfather, he was the, he was the best man that I had ever known. And these are men that were not, or maybe some of them may have been Masons. I don't know, but I don't think so. I think most of the people that I was running into were not Masons, but they had known something about my grandfather that I didn't. And as I got older, as I was going into my twenties and things, I started thinking about masonry, but I never acted on it for one reason or another. Um, so I finally got to a point in my life where I thought, you know what? I'd always heard about these things about my grandfather being a very great man. I don't know anything about my grandfather. Maybe if I uh, investigate masonry, maybe I'll be able to learn something about my grandfather. And there's one thing that my grandfather would say is he said that he could go anywhere in the world. And if he met another man who was wearing a Masonic ring, that there was no other act of, of trust that needed to be performed by that person for my grandfather to trust them uh, implicitly. In other words, he could see if a man had a, had a Masonic ring on, he knew they were a brother and he was, I know I can trust that guy, even though I don't even know his name. I know I can trust him. And, and so that always, that always stuck with me. And so I, so I started pursuing, I, I pursued masonry and in joining the fraternity, I, f- I really felt like I learned a lot about who my grandfather was as a, as a man. One of the things that I, that I always found interesting once I became a Mason is um, when I would go to lodge, I, it, I quickly realized that at lodge, there are all of these men around me and I want to be like them. Like I never had that before where I would look, literally look up to men around me and say, I want to, I need to be more like that person. You know, I was so used to being around guys where, you know, a lot of dick jokes and ass grabbing and shit like that. Right. (laughs) Um, and then I would go to lodge and it's not like that. Right? Our lot. Wait, Flagstaff lodge. Yeah, yeah. No, there's still a lot of that, but it's but, it, very different. It's it's, <laughs> but not to the extreme. No, not to the, there's, there's, um, nobody's drawn dick pics on anything. No. You know, there's, there's nothing like that. Um, you know, when, when, when guys get together, uh, you know, they can be very crude. Sure. And I would go to lodge 
and, and it wasn't like that at all. Yeah. It was a completely different kind of an environment, a very positive one. Mm-hmm. And, and that's why I say I would, I would go to lodge and I would see all these different men. And I'm like, I want to be better so that I can be like them. Mm-hmm. So I can, I, I didn't want to become them, but I knew they had something that I wanted to be like. And I wanted to, so they made me be better, or at least made me want to be better and, and look at how can I better my life. And it got to a point where it's like, I didn't want to hang around with people that I worked, worked with because, well, they were just a bunch of idiots, you know, (laughs) drawing dick pics on everything. Right. Um, I'd much rather be hanging out with my brothers because at least it was, it was a, it was a wholesome fun. It was, it was, yeah, we had fun, but it was, uh, it was a much more positive kind of, kind of experience. So, you know, and there, anyway, that's there's, my story. there's something very unique and special about masonry. Um, and you touched on it a little bit when you say about traveling in other places and immediately having a trust, but you know, um, we talked about, um, Grand Lodge and Grand Communication coming together once once a year. There are so many brothers out there, ju- even just in this state, that I would probably have no reason to interact with, or maybe even want or desire to interact with. You know, in so many so many occasions, we go to a, a public event, or we we always group up in our own little tight knit groups. And we never branch out and never talk to anyone outside of that. You know, it's that immediate, very small comfort zone of people. Whereas when we get together as brothers, even, I mean, we literally are strangers from all over the state and we come together, all of that awkwardness about being strangers just disappears and actual brotherhood exists. And immediately there's a common bond and connection with people who, well, for lack of a better word, would, would otherwise have remained at that perpetual distance. And, and people who probably don't agree on a lot of other things, whether it's politically or socially or per it, but having that common bond in Freemasonry allows for discourse to happen that otherwise would not have happened. And it's, it's an incredible experience that I don't think many other organizations or many other groups or, I mean, where else do you have anything like that? Masonry is in a very, very special place in that regard. And it's, it's, it's really neat. It's really special. Yeah, I would, I would agree. Even even though you're antisocial and don't like being in those big areas around all those yeah. people, but yeah, but yeah. All right. Um, well, did, did we cover everything, or is there anything that oh, we missed? Other heck questions no. that you that... we could, we didn't cover anything tonight. But well, that's... yeah, we didn't. I mean, the, I'm just trying to I'm you're trying to figure for the, the the people who don't know anything about about masonry, right? There's only there's only so much that. Well, you know, the, the highlights, you know, the kind of what is it type sure. of thing, you know, sure. um, there's, there's a lot out there, you know, honestly, anything that we would likely say about masonry 
it's it's either something that you're going to believe because you believe the fraternity's good or you're going to disregard everything we say because you have some belief that the fraternity ex exists for nefarious intent which sorry to disappoint on a positive note there's a lot of bs out there on the internet that will probably support your theory um but if there are questions or things like that you know what shoot us an email because neither dr ramirez or i have any reason to not respond to any of your emails or any of your questions um about masonry or anything else yeah um you know one one last thing that i just thought of in terms of why why men only um that i just want to want to revisit one last one last thing um i mean you touched on a little bit when you said how men act differently around women we just do um and i, I certainly agree with that i think most i think most men would agree with that in fact i would think most women would also agree with that um honest women would agree with that honest women would agree with that yes <laughs> um <laughs> but when it when it comes down to to why men only and i'll say this both men and women they need a place where they can go to be with respective members of their own gender so that they can just you know women need that ability to just be women around other women and to learn how to be uh, better women, how, however, whatever it is that they want to do. I'm not saying be better women for men. I'm not saying that at all. Just be better women in their communities and, and, and grow and improve in their own lives. And men need that as well. And so there's nothing wrong with men getting together um, and looking up to each other and saying, I want to be like that person because, or I want to, I want to improve myself so that I can feel like I can stand shoulder to shoulder with that, with that individual, because they're, they're a great man. They're a great individual, a great person. Um, and, and men need that. Yep. Men need that from time to time. Men need, men need to be able to do that. And women need to be able to do that. I, I do have one more question for you. Sure. What has masonry done for you in your life that has made a difference? Um, <laughs> you know, the, uh, I think, I think what it, what masonry has done is it has, it has placed the idea of two things, the idea of virtue center in my life as well as um, reminding me daily that I need to constantly work to be better than I was yesterday. Um, and I'm not perfect. I'm not always better than today than I was the day before. Um, but without masonry, I wouldn't think about that. I, I wouldn't think about it as much. You know, and so somebody might say, well, well ask, well, why do you think about that on a daily basis? Um, and that's because I wear a Masonic ring. And every time I look at my ring and every time I, every day when I put that ring on first thing in the morning, I think about those virtues and those principles of, of what Masonry tries to teach men. And I, that's part of my, my daily ritual of being reminded of those things and putting that in the center of my life so that I can become a, a better 
individual, for a better man, for my, for my own personal um, development, but also for my community and my family and my friends around me. I, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't be that way if it weren't for masonry. So, well, and I certainly wouldn't have you huh? uh, brutally well, honest. And, oh yeah. No, well, honestly, we, we would not have met and no. we would not have developed any kind of friendship or really, no. there's absolutely no way. There's no way we would have. Honestly, probably if we'd have met outside of the lodge, there's no way we would have met twice. No. <laughs> <laughs> and there you go. That's what I'm talking about, about masonry affords a, uh, a means yeah. by which two people would have otherwise <laughs> remained at a perpetual distance. And you, you know, what's funny is the first time I had gone, I remember going to lodge for dinner. Uh-huh. And because Big Don invited me to come in for dinner and I did, I came in for dinner and I saw you and I thought, God, that guy's an asshole. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> <laughs> and I went to dinner a couple of times and then, um, and, and then you, when I put in my, when I petitioned, I put in my petition to the lodge, you came to my apartment to, uh, to basically investigate me. Yes. And I remember when you came over, I thought, oh God, this guy. This guy right here. <laughs> of course. Why did it have to be that guy? Yeah. I'm like, that guy's a dick. So, and look how it's turned out. Yeah, look at it. Aren't you so glad? <laughs> yep. Yeah. See, it's just uh it's funny how things turn out. It's funny looking back at it now going, God, I should have known then I had a chance to turn around and run. <laughs> <laughs> well, right. thank you for that. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah. Well, you, you asked me the question. I should ask the same thing of you. What is it that masonry has given you? Oh, um, well, besides the, the brotherhood, the immediate community inside the community, which I live, um, knowing that I could have that, even if something happened and I had to move to another part of the country, I, I could get that back, even if it was with different men. Um, but beyond that, you know, I, I think it was something my wife actually brought to my attention, but really... I do believe masonry has given me a means to look inside who I am as an individual. And again, I'm not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. I don't believe I was a terrible person prior to joining the fraternity. Shut up. You don't have, that was, you don't have to answer <laughs> that. I can see your face. Um, but I do believe 100% that it has been a tool that has allowed me to become a better man, a better husband, and a better father than I would have otherwise been without it. Here, here. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that about covers it. Yeah, for now. For now. Yeah. For Send now. us your emails. I'm really curious. Even if yeah. it sounds ridiculous in your head, write it down. <laughs> yeah. Send us an email, contact at fusionunderground.net. You can get all of our podcasts and everything that we produce on our website, fusionunderground.net. 
we we keep it up to date. Yep. We put all of the all of these episodes are out there. They're all there for for free consumption. So <laughs> not being we, charged yet. We, yet. <laughs> <laughs> so you can catch us wherever podcasts are wherever you listen to podcasts you can find us there we're even on the apple itunes store from what i understand yeah I, I don't have an apple device so i can't uh i can't i can't confirm that but uh but yeah from what i understand we're on the apple we're on the itunes store uh, Breaker, Spotify, all those things, all those things, all those places where really cool podcasts uh, reside, you can also find us. <laughs> okay, <laughs> we're there. <laughs> like a bad smell following you guys around. <laughs> Definitely, and of course we're on YouTube, so um, just do Fusion Underground. But again, you can find all of that content off of our website, FusionUnderground.net. So just take a look check it out there. We're also back on Twitter. So at FU brothers, that's where you can find us. You can tweet us at FU brothers. So for Jason Moret, I'm Manuel Ramirez. You've been listening to the fusion underground peace. We're late. Have a good night.